when it comes to voting, Catholics in the United States are split down the middle. It is not a monolith, and in many ways, Catholics simply disagree with the teachings of the church and the church's leaders. Yes, I am anti-abortion, but I am also anti-racism. I am anti-mass incarceration. I am anti-death penalty. Where can a person of goodwill who supports human rights for all stand in this political climate? Subscribe to Voting Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. And champagne! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> That's skipping we... ahead a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess we're drinking champagne. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I've got Prosecco. I Not to be that guy, but... Oh, you are definitely that guy. Um, I, I am that guy. I might as well leave. Do you really? <laughs> yeah. Someone gave it to me for my 30th birthday, and I finally oh. have an occasion to drink it. So yeah. thank you, Jacob. <laughs> well, what is that occasion, Ashley? <laughs> well, we both have some exciting news on the work front. We we received promotions today at American Media. So you are now listening to... Um, the director of audience engagement and statistics, Zach Davis. And you, th- thank you, thank you. I heard your tiny claps in the background. Yeah. Um, and you're now listening to an executive editor, Ashley Ooh. McKinless. Yeah. Sounds important. It's a big word. Um, I think listeners are sometimes surprised to find out that we do have day jobs in addition to hosting this podcast, but we do a lot of stuff around America. So this, yeah. uh, if, if you want to support the show beyond the ways you already do, Click and read America Media stuff because it's a big part of what we do. So, yep. Ashley, it, it was very fun to be promoted with you on the same day. So let's uh, open this and not break all our stuff. All right. Let's do this. Ooh. That was a good pop. That was good pop. Oh, my nice. gosh. Some listeners have, when I've met them, they often ask, like, do you actually drink when you're doing this? And you can't fake that. <laughs> no. No, no, no. <laughs> That's why the SOTs usually get better as they go. Yeah. All right. Well, here, cheers to you, Ashley. Cheers from afar. And who are we talking to this week, Zach? We are talking with Father Pat Conroy, who is a Jesuit priest and the 60th chaplain of the U.S. House of Representatives. Yeah, we wanted to talk to Father Conroy at this moment in particular, ahead of the election. Uh, there's a lot of division in this country. There are a lot of fears about what's going to happen on Election Day. Um, and people are talking about, you know, what does it mean to pray across our political divisions. And we thought Father Conroy would would have some advice about that. Yeah, and you might know Father Conroy's name because it came up in the news a couple of years ago when then-Speaker of the House, fa- uh, not Father, <laughs> Speaker Paul Ryan, asked Father Conroy to hand in his resignation, which many rightly interpreted as being fired. Right, and so Father Conroy uh, protested this firing or uh Asked resignation. Not just him, but lots of lots of members of Congress also protested on both. Yeah, both sides across the aisle. Yeah, Republicans and Democrats. Right, and so uh, Father Conroy was eventually reinstated. Um, so probably not the reason he wanted to make headlines. But if you've heard of uh, Father Pat Conroy, that's probably why. 
Yeah, so we'll get to Father Conroy on the election and all those anxieties that we're feeling yep. in prayer later. But first... We have Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Zach? So this past Saturday, the Catholic Church got one step closer to declaring its very first, very online millennial <laughs> saint. Carlo Acutis, who died at the age of 15 in 2006 of leukemia, was beatified, that is named Blessed, at the Basilica of St. Francis of Assisi in Assisi, Italy. Yeah, and if if you saw uh, pictures of of him or of, of his body, which has been exhumed for veneration, uh, he doesn't look like your typical saint. Uh, <laughs> he was wearing jeans and Nikes and a red track jacket, which is what he liked to wear when he was alive. Um, and so it was kind of cool to see someone that really looks very, very, um, you know, young, hip, and lay. <laughs> That's, yeah, exactly. It's a... Uh... It's, you know, very cool in the sense that it's very weird. And I say this lovingly, the whole, you know, bringing out dead bodies to look at for veneration Mm -hmm. again. It feels very Catholic. Taking out his, yeah, his heart has been removed uh, because it's now considered a relic now that he's been beatified. So you can go and venerate his heart. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, that has never really like struck me, but I think it's just because it he is a millennial, someone of our generation Mm -hmm. to just like hear that happen to someone that is a contemporary is just kind of like a, oh, wow, that yeah. is <laughs> as weird as I, you know, people say it is. But, you know, Carlo really did have uh, a very ordinary and extraordinary life. Um, he's being considered for sainthood now because he had a deep love for Jesus and the Eucharist in particular in the Catholic Church. Um, he's being called the patron saint of the internet because he was very much into computer programming and in in his last days, uh, built a website to sort of document and popularize um, all the Eucharistic miracles that had taken place around the world. Right. So this Saturday he was beatified. So that means he's one step um, away from being canonized or made a saint. Um, and so far there has been one miracle um, attributed to him. A, a young Brazilian boy uh, who had a rare congenital disease was healed and he he prayed to Carlo. Um, so that's been approved by the Vatican. Uh, so he needs one more miracle uh, to make it to sainthood. Or he needs the Pope to waive that second requirement. But he's not there yet. But I thought this could still be like a moment to, you know, talk about why this is important. I think, you know, I saw this got covered not just in the Catholic press, but all over the secular press, too. Why do you think it's in a I, I, and I think one of those reasons is it's because there's a saint from our generation right? Like, especially a lot of the people who are in media now or early in the workforce. Do you think that matters? Does it matter that there's someone who is, who would be our contemporary? I think it definitely does. Um, You know, it's this weird thing. You want, you want your saints to be extraordinary and people you look, look up to, but holiness should also be something that is seen as attainable uh, for all of us because it's what we're all aiming for. So to have someone who, like you said, he he was in some ways ordinary and in some ways extraordinary. Like he he loved video games and he used that love of the internet and and programming um, to, to make the internet a less dark place. Um, and that's something all of us can do. Um, you know, he he did love the church. He went to daily mass. He went to confession every week. Um, but it's not so unimaginable to see ourselves doing things like that. Yeah. You know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a priest. He wasn't a theologian. He wasn't a religious. 
He's just a kid. I mean, he just to have a saint that was into Pokemon (laughs) is like just like so exciting for, I would say, my eight year old self. But also my 27 year old (laughs) self is really psyched to have someone in the communion of saints that uh, understands why Squirtle was the best starter Pokemon to choose. Yeah, (laughs) I'm not going to touch that. Um, But I also think uh, it's great to have someone who could be considered the patron saint of the internet. The internet um, has been a blessing in many ways and uh, and a pretty um, destructive force in other ways. So to have someone up in heaven who actually understands how the internet works um, to intercede on our behalf to make social media less toxic is a great thing. And I will say we were uh, just before this dealing with some tech issues and someone suggested <laughs> that we pray to Carlo, um, which I didn't say was a bad idea. However, I did point out that he is just the patron saint of the internet, which is already a huge place and that we don't necessarily need to <laughs> put all of our tech problems on the only millennial around like happens so often here on earth. Right. Just try unplugging it and turning back it back on before you pray to Carlo. <laughs> Amen. All right. What's our next story, Ashley? All right. Now we're going to go over to the Vatican, where as of today, seven people in Vatican City have tested positive for COVID-19, um, including four Swiss guards. And that's particularly concerning because these are the men charged with protecting Pope Francis. And Pope Francis has not been seen wearing a mask very often. Yeah. Based on what we see from his public appearances and photos of his private ones, um, he's not been wearing a mask during general audiences, which are now indoors. um, And he does mingle among the crowd. Um, He's been photographed kissing the hands of clerics. And, you know, just recently he was warmly greeting uh, Colonel George Pell during a private audience in which both of them were maskless. Um, And this is happening at a time when Italy, like a lot of places, is experiencing a second wave of the coronavirus. Right. And the Vatican city state has been following the lead of Italy to try to defeat the virus again and has instituted a mask mandate that applies to both indoors and outside. Um, And it's kind of uh, confounding that the pope wouldn't go along with this. He's he said previously um, that people who complain about mask mandates and and social distancing rules are being, quote unquote, adolescent. So the fact that he's not really willing to practice what he preaches is kind of concerning. Yeah, he hasn't given any reason as to why he hasn't been wearing a mask, uh, at least not publicly. Um, The Vatican hasn't responded to press inquiries about this, but we can speculate a little. Um, I guess from the beginning of the papacy, he's always made clear that he wants to be close to people. He's a very affectionate person, and he, you know, one of the most striking images from the the papacy was when he embraced a man um, with a condition that had disfigured his skin. So I don't know how much of this might just be the Pope thinking that a mask would detract from his pastoral mission. That is the best good faith answer I can give. And yeah. I think we both kind of agree that it's not good enough. Right. And Pope Francis himself has said that, you know, if you're going to criticize him, do it publicly. <laughs> uh, so I think it's fair to say that that these actions aren't above criticism. Um, We've been told time and time again that wearing a mask is not about just protecting yourself. It's about protecting others. So by setting this example um, where he's not following these rules, Pope Francis is not only putting himself at risk, but the people around him, uh, which, which I think is concerning. Well, you know, and this is an important point. Like he is not only protecting the people that he is interacting with, but as one of the most influential 
if not the most influential moral leader in the world, what he does and what he is filmed and photographed doing has a huge impact, right? Yeah. And so this is, I don't know if enough people just need to get this through to him that, hey man, just put your dang mask on. (laughs) Respectfully, Holy Father. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about uh, Maskgate, our friend and colleague Colleen Dully spoke about this with Jerry O'Connell, America's Vatican correspondent this week on Inside the Vatican. And she wrote an explainer that you can find at americamagazine.org. And now stick around for our conversation with Father Pat Conroy. Joining us from Oregon is Father Pat Conroy. Father Conroy is a Jesuit priest who serves as the 60th chaplain of the United States House of Representatives. Welcome to Jesuitical, Father Conroy. Thank you very much. Nice to be with you. Nice to have you. So you're in Oregon, not the U.S. Capitol. (laughs) Well, yes, I am a member of what used to be the Oregon province. It's now called the uh, Jesuits West. And so I'm back uh, visiting my home province. I've been it's been a year since I've been able to be, come back here. So. Wow, glad you're able to do that. So your your official role as a Jesuit is the chaplain of the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, and some people in this country might be surprised to learn that the House even has a chaplain um, these days, that you know they think of the separation in church and state and wouldn't think of that as a role in the House. Um, so why does it exist, and uh, what's a little bit of the history of it? Well, in the Constitution— um, the first article is about the legislative branch, and Constitution empowers uh, the the separate houses, the Senate and the House of Representatives, to select their own officers and establish their own rules. And these are rules that cannot be affected or changed or threatened by the executive branch, nor overruled by the uh, judicial branch. So that's called, you know, the separation of powers doctrine. And the founders, who were the very people to write the First Amendment, so-called separating church from state, the people that wrote that were the people who elected, who established the chaplaincy and elected the first chaplain. And the House rules say that the chaplain shall provide a prayer each day in Congress. So it's a constitutionally empowered position, and the people who wrote the First Amendment obviously didn't think that that was a violation of their own First Amendment, and the Supreme Court refuses to make a judgment about it because it's none of their business uh, under the separation of powers doctrine. So you are not just a chaplain, for the house, you, you or the Catholic chaplain, you are you are the chaplain for the entire House of Representatives, right? That that is correct. How many have been Catholic? From what I understand, the founders were not uh, super psyched about uh, Jesuits in particular, but <laughs> but Catholics as well. That's right. I'm only the second Catholic, and I'm the second one in a row. And is there still some suspicion of Jesuits going on? Less Jesuits, more Catholic. 
if you go back to uh, April, May, two years ago, I think it was, uh, Paul Ryan had asked me to resign. Did you notice that in the news? We did, yes. Yeah, <laughs> we did. And Paul Ryan is himself Catholic. Um, so how, how did your Catholic identity play into that uh, dust up? <laughs> well, there uh, I would probably be giving you opinions that would not sit well with certain people. So what I would recommend that you do is you go back. I mean, you could like anybody can do this. Uh, just go on Google search and type in Father Pat Conroy. And then so the main ones, the MSNBCs and, and, and NBCs, et cetera, is just said, uh, you know, they were I was asked. But the other ones get into who who were behind Paul Ryan's asking me, and that's where it gets religiously interesting. Well, yeah, we I did some of that Googling ahead of this um, interview to to remember how that all went down. And I think one of the things that was brought up is I, one of the representatives said, you know, well, maybe it's time that we have a chaplain who's a family man, which would imply not a Catholic priest because it would be someone who could be married with a family. So I think some of that made it may have raised people's suspicions that this was um, maybe having to do with you being Catholic and less about uh, you performing your your duties um, up to up to standard. Um, but before before we get more into that, can you can you tell us what your what your duties are? What what's a day on the Capitol like for you? So in the morning hours, I would check, uh, you know, all the information in my inbox about what was being dealt with that day or what was going on or what you know was going on in the world and so i might or might not incorporate that into my prayer uh you know so like when you know the hurricane's washing away half of louisiana i might mention that specifically in my prayer but uh otherwise i just i i ask god the father of us all or God of the universe, never uh, God of Jesus Christ. My prayers are not explicitly Christian because they're for the entire house and the house is not made up entirely of Christians. So I want every member of Congress to be able to say amen to my prayer. Maybe the only thing they'll agree on all day. And so I'll basically ask God to bless them with the wisdom and the understanding and the goodwill to do what's best. Uh, within their power to do and for them to be their best selves so that their work product will be the best possible work for everyone. I don't vary very often from that. As the chaplain, though, I'm basically available uh, and try to be present whenever members are present. So whenever there's votes on the floor, I go and sit on the floor in case any member would might want to stop by and chat with me or might want to ask if they can meet with me or I can meet with them or whatever that is. So over time, I become a predictable and hopefully an approachable presence should I be needed for anything. So there's that availability to members of the Congress. What are members of Congress typically looking for um, in a chaplain? Is it, is it guidance or, or a sounding board or maybe even someone that's just not explicitly partisan in, in the House? Well, they're absolutely not partisan. Absolutely. 
and a chaplain who were partisan would not be doing their job. So most of them don't look to me for anything. And the reason for that is they're in Washington, D.C. doing their legislative work. That's what they're doing. They don't need a chaplain for that. Should something come up, like a death in the family, death on the staff, uh, somebody's having a hard time in the office or this or that, I can get a call, would you be willing to meet with this person? This person needs to talk to somebody, uh, and, and I am available for that, and that happens by pretty rarely itself. Most of the people who work on Capitol Hill, as stressful as it is and as awful as it is, live in an environment where it does not look good to be weak. And so a lot of them do not bring up their weaknesses in Washington, D.C. Now, some do, and I've been there for them. Most of them, if they're members of Congress, certainly, I think, take those issues back home to whoever the religious person in their family life is back home. So I don't have to tell you that the Congress is not particularly trusted or held in esteem by the American people as a whole when it's talked about in the in the abstract. Um, but I imagine, you know, you spend time around individual Congress people and 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 get to see what their day to day life is like. So what do you what do you what would you want to tell the American people about what this life and job is like? Well, picking on a politician or or uh attacking or being upset with a, with a politician uh, is an easy thing to do because politicians, generally speaking, have power, more power than most people have. So, And when, when people think that they're abusing the power or, or not using it well, uh, or that they're really you know, not bright enough to use the power that they have or that, they're pretty easy to pick on. All right. So I get that. Uh, the work of a politician, however, is the kind of work that doesn't sell very well when you're talking about uh, human values, spiritual values, even economic values, or what have you, any kind of values, because the work of a politician is to get things done in an environment where people do not agree. And so the way to get things done when people do not agree is to compromise. And most people think that if a congressperson is making a compromise, what they are compromising is their values, which is not the case. Or they're compromising their ideals, which might be the case because they don't, they're not working in an ideal arena. They're working in a political or a practical arena. And to get the desired results uh, in one fell swoop is what does not happen. Those things generally happen incrementally. Okay, so there's that. Secondly, I try to tell people when I have a chance to talk to them, every member of Congress is a human being like all the rest of us. Their job happens to be very stressful, very competitive, rather toxic, and all while they are secluded or separated from their families. Why are they separated from their families? Because we are in a period in American history when voters do not want the members of Congress to move their families to Washington, D.C. They want the family back home in the district where everybody can see them to make sure that their congressman does not become 
what, Washingtonized or whatever, okay? So while a congressman's working 12 hours of stressful, toxic, pressured work in Washington, D.C., they either go back to their apartment or some sleep in their office at the end of a stressful day, and there's no family human contact for four or five days in a row. How many Americans want that kind of job? Guessing not a lot. This, I'm guessing not a lot. And most Americans, I think, need to understand that. We need to look in the mirror and, 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 and realize, you know, our responsibility, be at peace internally with our life, and then, then look upon these people that upset us so, or the system that upsets us so, or whoever it is that upsets us so. And say, Lord, send your peace upon those people who are doing their best. I think they're screwing it up, Lord, but please help them to do their best and help me, you know, to have empathy and and pray a blessing upon them because they have a difficult row to hoe. That is, a, I think, tall order. Um, and I think a lot of Catholics got a taste of this and or a lot of people of faith. Got a taste of this in sort of a real way. Um, America ran an article recently that was basically looking at the this phenomenon of some Catholics feeling glee or some other positive emotion when they found out that the president is someone who is the object of a ton of attention and a lot of emotion. Um, they took glee or some type, something like that when they found out he was diagnosed with the coronavirus. And th- the idea of having to pray about that or pray for him was challenging for a lot of them. Do you think that same advice applies or do you think that's evidence of, you know, our inability to uh, imagine asking God to bless someone who we we disagree with so vehemently? Uh, There's a couple of things about that particular scenario. Um, I too would say that uh, no Catholic, no Christian should take glee in Donald Trump getting sick or in a politician uh, getting sick, which is a different thing than saying, I am going to take Lee when there's an individual who is using his office, uh, his voice to mislead people and then be caught by the very thing that he, you know. So it's not about the person, it's about karma or whatever. So I would say taking note that, you know, here's somebody that's been telling us there's nothing to worry about. We're around the corner, blah, blah, blah. We don't don't need to take these precautions. We don't need to do all that. We don't need to, you know, they're trying to scare you with this. We need to reopen everything. And then by not following the advice that everybody else is trying to follow, gets sick. All right, I'll give a person, you know, 15 seconds of glee over that scenario. But if you're going to say, well, thank God it's Trump. Well, if it was another person who, and there have been, right? We've heard about people who did not, who thought it was a hoax. And then they got sick and they're on their deathbed and they're saying, guess what, folks? This isn't a hoax. Do do we take glee uh, with that? No, we don't take glee with that because that individual wasn't telling us that we didn't need to worry. And that's the difference. But like I said, get over the glee no Christian, no Catholic should ever be gleeful that anybody uh, gets sick or or dies. And and uh, I mean that's just not an appropriate thing. 
I understand that people have opinions and that people have likes and dislikes and this or that, but Jesus was pretty dang clear when he said, love your enemies, pray for them. That settles that. All right. And if you're, if you find yourself, you know, dancing on your tiptoes because Trump got coronavirus, look in the mirror. So I'm hearing as you're allowed to appreciate the irony for, for a little bit, but then you move on to the commandment to pray for your enemies. Well, yes, but especially if a person is using a, using power or using position in, or abusing it, because then they are not being private, right? They're being very public about what their position is. And, and so when that position ends up, you know, biting them, it's kind of like, you know, gotcha. But then that's because of the political position, not because of the person. Right. So we're, we're recording this in the middle of October. The election is less than a month away. And I know, we're in a pretty tense and divided time in this country. Um, there's, there's a lot of fear on both sides about how, you know, what the outcome could be, whether we're going to know the outcome. So I'm wondering if you could just what would what what's your prayer for the country right now? What are you what are you praying for? What do you think people should be praying for uh, as as we head towards the election? Well, I, I hope this is practical advice because it's uh, it's practical uh, for me. It works for me. I could say, Lord, give me peace. It's kind of the prayer of Saint Francis, or the Serenity Prayer. Give me serenity give me peace help me to let go of the dark or destructive spirits that are ravaging earth and let me with every person i encounter every community i encounter that we ask god to help us bring what the earth needs to bring what the world needs, not more anxiety, not more anxiousness, not more anger, not more combativeness, not more disagreement, not more worry, but peace and blessing and reconciliation. Amen. You know, this is the the true benefit that the U.S. House is getting. Uh, we asked you, you know, what's your prayer for all these big questions and in typical Jesuit fashion. The answer is focus on our focus on ourselves and what we're doing in our own spiritual life. Father Conroy, thank you so much. We we do have one final question for you that we ask all of our guests. And it's if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real, who would it be and why? Well, um, that would be John Lewis, who just died. And the reason being that uh, I knew him so well, you know, and uh, he was honestly a saintly man uh, in the political arena, but definitely uh, not a politician in uh, the popular and kind of negative sense that uh, John Lewis was not a man of of ambition. He was not a man who sought power, certainly not power for himself. Uh, Rather, he's a man who was called upon, I would say, by the people of God uh, to represent them because he was, since he was a young man, a man of integrity and profound nonviolent 
community building. He, he strived to bring about the beloved community. All right, John Lewis, pray for us. Uh, Father Conroy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your vocation, for what you're doing for our country. Um, we really appreciate it. Okay. Well, I hope this was helpful. Well, the people will enjoy listening to it, and I won't get called in by the prince uh, to the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will. Thank you so much, Father Conroy. All right, now it's time for some housekeeping. What do we have, Zach? So, uh, we when we were breaking down for Telly Tutti a couple episodes ago, was that just last episode? I don't know. Losing track of time. <laughs> anyway, we did say that our summary was not an excuse to get out of reading the entire document. And we're putting our money where our mouths are, or rather your money where our <laughs> mouths are. And we want to announce a new reading group exclusive to Patreon supporters of Jesuitical. All right. So, if you join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash America Media. You will be a part of this exclusive reading group where we, um, our plan, this is subject to change, but right now we're thinking read a couple, uh, one or two chapters every week and then gather together, perhaps over drinks on Zoom. Definitely over and- drinks. <laughs> Often over drinks. Yeah. And, and you know, get into the get into this encyclical because there's there's a lot there and as zach said we only scratched the surface with our signs of the times last week that's right so if you want to be a part of that um again check out patreon.com slash america media and we want to shout out uh our new patrons who will be eligible to participate in this reading group as of uh, a couple weeks uh we want to thank the rosenthal family david joy christine welch and rachel whitmore Again, we can't do the show without your support. And so we're hoping that this reading group is something, you know, in addition to the other benefits that um, shows our gratitude and, you know, helps further solidify this community. Um, Because the thing is, like, this document is so rich and it, you know, it talks about weighty things about globalism and capitalism and but it also is a real personal one and so to be able to unpack what this means for our for our own spiritual lives i think is going to be important to do together all right and now we have constellations and desolations the part of our show where we talk about where we found god in our lives this week and where it was harder to find god what do you have zach so i have a consolation you know i had several reasons to drink champagne this week um <laughs> the promotion but also it was my uh, mine and amanda's one year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Couple couple small miracles. <laughs> one that I haven't lost my ring because um, I fidget with it all the time still. Can confirm. Um, it also feel, we, we also joke with each other that COVID years are really like dog mm. years. So this is really our fifth <laughs> wedding anniversary in a lot of ways. But seriously, this pandemic has been hard for us and for a lot of people. But, you know, one of the, this is not to look on the bright side of things explicitly, but anniversaries like call you to reflect on how things are going and we were sitting and talking and you know one of the re- one effect of the pandemic with both of us working from home is that we've been able to spend just a ton of time together as newlyweds and you know, to really like dig in and interrogate the grace that's coming from the sacrament that is our marriage and so being able to have that experience you, while still naming like this is a terrible Thing that's happening to the world and to 
other parts of our personal lives that to just name together, you know, God is still present here in our love for one another and our sacrament. And that was, you know, something to be really thankful for um, this week and on on our fifth COVID anniversary. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll say that grace isn't contained to just, just your marriage. It, it, it emanates out and touches everyone that you guys have, you know, brought together in friendship. Um, so I'm grateful for that marriage too. Thank you. Ashley, what do you got this week? I also have a consolation. So this past weekend, I was down in Virginia to celebrate the baby shower of my oldest and best friend, uh, Laura, who she lives in LA, but made it back to the East Coast um, for for her shower. Um, and it, w- it was an occasion for me to look back on our, our friendship, um, which it wasn't just my friendship with her. I really, her family was my second family. Um, and I spent a lot of time with them this weekend and uh, reminisced about our childhood and growing up. And I just had this recognition of of how much they had shaped my life and how, I don't know, even just like small moments of um, forgiveness on the part of Laura towards me had kind of like altered the course of, of my life. I can see myself being a very different person in a very different place um, without her friendship and not a better one. Uh, so I was able to, to see that, reflect on that and kind of let go of this idea that like I'm a completely self-made woman and that I'm in complete control, um, which is something I I struggle with. I don't like asking for help. Um, And through, through these conversations with Laura and just looking back, I was, I was able to see that even when I am stubborn and don't ask for help, people are constantly in my life helping me and shaping me into the person that I am. Um, So you know, puncturing that illusion of, of complete control not only like opens up space um, for other people in my life, um, but, you know, for, for, for God to work too in a way that I uh, don't always acknowledge. So I was, I was grateful to have that little revelation. <laughs> yeah. Get by with a little help from our friends. Yep. <laughs> All right. Double consolations. It's a good week. Yeah. <laughs> Get us out of here. All right. Jesuitical is produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is a production of American Media in New York City. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week. Fifty million Catholics are eligible to vote in the United States. They go to the same mass and profess the same faith, but they're split politically down the middle. Some cast their vote on a single issue. For others, the decision is more complex. So what are the deciding issues for Catholics, and how will they stack up in the 2020 election? Do you oppose aggressive violence against human beings? Because if you do, then I'll consider voting for you. When you think of immigration, it's not just a Latino issue. It's an issue that affects every one of us. 
we're not going to address any of these issues unless we focus on the way racism impacts all of those things. From America Media, I'm Sebastian Gomes, and this is Voting Catholic, a podcast about what's at stake in the 2020 election from the people who know the issues best and bring their faith to the voting booth. How Catholics vote will help determine the election. Here's the case for each issue and how they're all connected. Subscribe to Voting Catholic wherever you get your podcasts.